Oh yeah, that's the bubbles, baby. That's that. That's that gas. Now she wants some more TBJ. Premium champagne. Welcome to Extra Sauce on the Side. We're here with Willie the Kid, the man of many names. Um, he is a rapper and all-around businessman and friend. And I'm excited to hear a little bit about your story because, honestly, like, I've Googled you twice maybe. I don't really know anything else. And it was really yeah. only to look at my own pictures of you because I'm self-centered. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> That's all right. But... Um, our goal today is just kind of to talk about your life and um, your upbringing because it was very unique and um, obviously your education and how you did fame a little bit differently than everybody else has. Um, so yeah, Willie and I kind of met through his liquor line. I took some pictures of their um, bottles and did some events with them and here we are. So. Yeah. First of all, how many nicknames do you have? Um, I, 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 I haven't I haven't put a, uh, a count to it. Yet. I haven't counted. I don't know. It just depends on who you are, right? It depends on my relationship with you, right? Okay. Maybe one name, and maybe two, maybe three, maybe four. Depends on how well and what type of relationship we have. You know, I don't know. So Willie the kid comes from like back in the day, right? When yeah. you first started, Willie the kid is uh. Willie the Kid is a name that um that uh actually my older brother he gave me that name. My brother Lai, he gave me that name. Um I had these, all these different names, really complex. I growing up I read a lot of books, right? I went to a um a creative arts school in uh elementary and then I went to humanity school for, for uh, middle school. So I was consumed with a lot of literature, a lot of books, and I had all these like really in depth names. And it was just way over your head for the neighborhood that we grew up in. So he was like, hey, you need something more conventional. Yeah. <laughs> People can't really kind of relate to it. You can't go too far. And I had watched this movie, um, Dick Tracy, with Warren Beatty. Um, and the young guy in the film, his name was Kid. He okay. said his name was just Kid. Like, here's looking at you, Kid? Yeah. But he his his name was just Kid, right? So... Like I thought about myself in that in that dynamic, right? There's like gangster shit going on. I can't curse, pardon me. There's gangster things going on. You can on. curse. <laughs> there's gangster things going on, right? There's there's crews, there's guys, there's cops, there's this is big cops and robber dynamic. And then there's just this kid that was in the middle of it all, just watching it all go down. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like that's how I felt in my neighborhood. Like I was I was the kid, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I was calling myself the kid. And then my brother was like, yo, why not just be Willie the Kid? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's my government name is Willie. So I was already calling myself the kid. I was the kid. Well, that actually makes a lot of sense just, like, knowing you. And, like, you're very intelligent. And I appreciate that. Um, enjoy learning. And so even in your rap style, the way that you, like, combine words is very much like you have influences from literature, which I think sets you apart from other people. Oh, yeah. So, obviously, Willie is a rapper, um, amongst many other things. So, I'd love to just hear about, because you did that a lot with your brother. You did it together, right? 
um, how that all happened and getting discovered and going on tour and all of the fun things that happened in your early life and then are continuing to happen, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know where to begin. <laughs> <laughs> it's such it's such a broad canvas. Um, I just, you know, I grew up here in Grand Rapids on the southeast side and um, I grew up, you know, late 80s, early 90s, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a different time in Grand Rapids for our community on the south, on the southeast side. Uh, things have evolved a bit, you know, since then. But when I grew up, it was a real serious time, you know, real serious things going on. Um, the the, the uh, access to resources for our community was a, was a different dynamic at the time. And, you know, we had to get creative yeah. where I'm from, you know what I'm saying? Like, we had to really find our way. And um, I grew up in one of those families one of those neighborhoods where people, you know, wouldn't accept the fact that we couldn't find our way waiting on the government, waiting on the city, waiting on the times, waiting on, like, my family, like, my friends, my neighborhood, we found our way. And um, whatever that may mean, right? Yeah. You know, this this side of the law, that side of the law, this side of morality, this side, whatever, we found our way. And um, my family is actually from New York. So, like, my mother... You know, her brother, my older brother, my aunts, like, they came from New York. So when they came to Grand Rapids, this was like a sleeping town for them. They, yeah. They used to, you know, New York. So they kind of just took a different, you know, stance on the city. And a lot of things that happened in the city that made it, quote, unquote, progressive came from my family. Yeah. So I'm kind of like um, like a black Kennedy, yeah. if you will. Like, you know, something from like a royal family. We have a rich legacy uh, in this city. And... um. The one thing that my parents and my older brother and my aunts and my, you know, uncles and my cousins, they always told me, like, hey, man, like, you're going to be the one that's going to, you know, elevate. You're going to be the one that's going to take this thing and go to that next level. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they found their way as creatively, whether it was working in the factory or whether it was doing things in the neighborhood, whatever it may be. Like, they found they found their way to, to you know, to survive, right, and provide for their responsibility. But they knew that I was going to be somebody that, th- that they would invest in in some sort of way. And I always let that ring, you know, in my ear. It had a, it had a ring to it, and I, and I never let go of that. I knew I wouldn't have to stand on the street corner. I wouldn't have to sweat in the factory. I would never have to, have to do those things because people invested in me, yeah. you know, with love and, and, and intention. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I was reading when I was like two and a half, three years old. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it may be like, oh yeah, big deal, but like, like that's a big deal. That is you know a huge what I'm deal. Yeah. And I went to school over at Heritage Hill. Um, school's called Heritage. It's right there in Madison. Yeah, I went to that school in preschool, and then um went to this went to uh Oakdale Elementary. Um, after that, and we lived uh off of Madison, so Madison Hall in that area right there, and that was a real serious neighborhood. So I remember guys, uh, I remember seeing fights and, and, and you know and, and stabbings and crack and all kind of shit. Just walking to school in the morning, you know what I'm saying? Not to mention walking. Home in the afternoon, I just, you know, I seen a lot of things very young that really let me know, like, yo, this is a serious neighborhood we live in, but it's a serious dynamic that we're amongst, that we have to do something to make sure this isn't all that we have. You know what I'm saying? It's just so odd, like, hearing about that experience, like, from my perspective, right? Growing up in the Grand Rapids area my whole life. You went in, you went outside of town. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. And... It's a Bible town. Yeah, we don't do that here on that side. Yeah, it's just so but crazy. On our side, they didn't. They, you know, 
I love Grand Rapids for the progressiveness. I love the way that the people who really took the reins in this city made us a prominent town, not only uh, in the state, but in the region and the nation as well. Yeah. Like, we're a thriving Midwestern town. I love the city. You know what I'm saying? But I'm talking about how things were when I was growing up. You know, we've done a lot to, to, to spread out the the access to resources. We've done a lot to to, to provide more inclusion. You know, uh, and, and in my community itself has done a lot to qualify and be eligible to be, you know, qualified to access these resources and whatnot. So I'm proud of where the city has grown to. I'm proud of where we are now. But when I grew up, you had to be a really keen person to look past yeah. what the direct experience was and imagine yourself being somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? I remember having these big dreams and these big ideas really young. You know what I'm saying? Like I knew exactly where I wanted to be. I tell people all the time, like, I thank God every day, right? All the time, several times a day, right? But one of the things I really thank God for um, just cons- just consistently is that I was like, I was allowed to have an idea, yeah. a vision. And then, okay, as a youth saying, okay, this is what I want to do. And then pursue that, right? And have a family that supported you of in course, that. Of course, of yeah. course, of course. And then one day actually arrive right where I said I would be. You know what I mean? Like, that's... You can't take that for granted, man. That's a blessing to be able to have these ideas and then do it. Yeah. Like I tell people all the time, like it's really unfair, right? That they ask you what you want to be when you grow up when you're like six, <laughs> right? You don't know shit when you're six, right? You don't know. And then they and then they then they make you go to college when you're 17, 18 years old, and still don't and know. You still don't know what the fuck you want to do, no. right? They tell you at that you gotta figure this out, and they make you they make you like commit and invest. In some idea that you may not be able to even fathom, because you have no idea. Like even even the school system itself, right? Yeah, you're learning about this, you're learning about that, but you're not learning about anything pertaining to adulthood or pertaining to the things that you're going to really have to deal I with. I still don't know how to pay my taxes. Exactly. Correctly. See, yeah. shit like that, and you're not the only person. Right? That's literally everyone. That's literally everyone. We right? should get an accountant on this podcast. I have an accountant, and I'm gonna tell you, without my accountant. I wouldn't know. All, no. I do, all I gotta do is probably access to my bank statements and then just give them some money and, <laughs> and hope and it's then good. I'm gonna say I'm leaving me alone. Like that's all I gotta do. But imagine if they taught that as a part of the curriculum. Yeah. When you're in junior high, when you're in high school, that would be way more important. Or giving you uh, interview skills, how to go to a job interview, that'd be way more important. Or how to negotiate. Or how to negotiate, right? That'd be way more important. Or how to buy a home, or how to write a check, or how to, you know, open a bank account, or. Any of these things, right? Or like make a baby, you Even know? <laughs> so, 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 not to mention mental health issues. Yeah. How do you cope? How do you embrace? How do you prepare yourself? Like the things that are really fucking important to adulthood, yeah. you don't learn about those things coming up in school. So I'm just saying, not to say in full circle, they put an unfair burden on young people to determine where they want to be and what they want to do as children. And tell you start that process now, or you won't be shit when you're 30. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that's kind of unfair. But just for me, like one thing that I was able to do was to visualize as a youth where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. Yeah. I had access to a lot of different. I seen a lot, you know, whether it was this, or whether it was that, positive, negative, right? Whether it was whoa, like clutch your pearls type of shit, or whether it was some things that really inspire you. Like I remember going and, and see the presidents one time. Like I think Gerald R. Ford. Bill Clinton and Jimmy Carter came to Grand Rapids, and they and I went to, I went downtown. I forget where it was at. Maybe it was a public museum or somewhere. It was probably at the Ford Museum. Ford Museum, I think it yeah. was. And and I was like there, 
I'm probably one of the, it wasn't a lot of black kids there, but I was there. And my mom went and bought me a suit and everything. It was, you know, I, and I went and I and I sat and I watched. And I'm, these guys are like from me to that wall. Like, you know what I'm saying? I seen yeah. that. And I wrote some questions down because they don't give the audience a chance to answer questions. I wrote a few questions down. I couldn't wait. They didn't pick me to ask my question, but I had questions. I was ready to go. Like, things like that inspired me as a youth. Like, I'm like, you know, it's more than just the Southeast side of Grand Rapids. Yeah. It's way more, you know. And I was dead set on making sure I, I, I touched it all. And I did, you know what I'm saying, as yeah. a youth, you know. So, you know, those So you are, just had this this want instilled in you from the day you were born to be more, right? And yep. And going through... That's one thing about the Grand Rapids public school system that is actually good. It's is, great. Yeah, is the way that they categorize students. I mean, as much as it gets great. it gets bad in some aspects, if you are a child who wants to succeed, they have opportunities. I came up at a good time, man. Yeah. Like, I, I live in Atlanta now, right? And I went to Atlanta to go to college, and I'm, I'm hanging out. I'm in classes with guys from New Jersey and New Orleans and Seattle and, you know, all these places. You know, it's... A, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, I went to Clark Atlanta University. It's a global school, and Atlanta is a global city. So you got guys from all over. You got you know young men and young women from all over the country going to school, all over the world going to school there. And you hear their experiences, and you and we kind of spiral you in class. I'm like, damn, y'all school's shitty. Like you know what I'm saying? Like you know what I'm saying? Like they gave us books my freshman year in college that I read when I was in high school. Mm Like things fall apart and Siddhartha and all these books. You know what I'm saying? We read Gilgamesh and the Iliad and the Odyssey. We read that shit when we was in seventh grade. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and we had in depth conversations about that. And then I'm in college and they're reading Things Fall Apart. I'm like, yo, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, can I just take a test to get out yeah, of this class? Just, <laughs> like, please, if you won't mind. Like, Save let me, me some money. Yeah. And I remember just, you know, even just pulling it back even further, like, I went to I went to um, Vandenberg. It was a creative arts school, so the school specialized in dance, drama, visual arts, music, and all these things. That's probably where I really um, was able to hone, you know, my talent as an artist. Yeah, We're going to that school, like we were really heavy on. Uh, we would write skits and do drama and do, do like live performances and plays and things like that. And you know they did dance, like it was ballet and tap and jazz and all these things. And or you can go and do visual arts. And we we had a kill and the and the Potter's Wheel, and we had these things and scoring clay and making sculptures and all this shit. I'm telling you about. I think people in a lot of the major cities and urban cities they didn't do these no. things, and we had access to this. We used to walk down because like I went to Venebre, it was on Lafayette and, and wealthy right there. And we used to like walk downtown to St. Cecilia and go to the dress rehearsals when Macbeth comes to town or when cats come to town. And so you seeing all of this stuff and it's like, yo, we got all this access. And then one day some guys come to my class. I'm in sixth grade and they came from city. Yeah. They were like, yo, they just get a pitch on going to city. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, oh, this shit looks crazy because it sounds like college preparatory. It sounds like this freedom. It sounds like this. And I know humanities was at the time, but it just sounded cool. Yeah. And I told my parents I wanted to go there. And then I went and we did this interview and I got accepted to the school and I went there with like five black kids. You know, this just was this <laughs> thing. But you just look at that. And then when I go back home, my friends pull up in a stolen car. Yeah. And say, hey, jump in. And you do. And I, and I do. And yeah. we smoke a weed. And we go into the store. And we paying some 
older guy to go in the store, buy us some beer, and we drink a beer, and the car is stolen, and there's probably a gun in the glove box, and this thing's going on, and my cousin's probably doing this and doing that, and my other cousin probably just got locked up, and he's coming home from jail, and da-da-da. But then I go to school, and I study am pretenders and Shakespeare and all of this shit all day long. So it made me just this really dynamic person. Yeah. To where I'm reading about, you know, <laughs> reading about Homer's, the Iliad and the Odyssey, and then I go home, and in my neighborhood, there's other things going on. So it gave me this like this bipolar type of yeah makeup that made me a really special person. Yeah, and then all of that shit found its way into my music. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then that's that I realized like, okay, this is my this is my moment of uh, actualization where I'm unique. Like I'm a different type of person. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. The best of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I, I remember seeing a lot of crazy shit in the neighborhood, but then going into school and it was like that shit just dissipated yeah. the moment I walked in class. And then when I get back home, the school shit dissipated. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you just got, you just got this dynamic, man. But yeah. Well, and it also puts you in a position too in the world of business to be able to play both sides too, you know? To be able to be streetwise and also business-wise. Of course. That's the advantage. I tell people all the time, if you're a black person growing up in West Michigan, and in order to be successful, you have to be a little bit more open-minded. You have to be able to relate to different experiences. You have to be able to connect, you know what I mean, with what it means to be successful. You have to have a business mind. Yeah. You have to be resourceful. You have to be an entrepreneur. In some respect, even if you have a job, you still got to be an entrepreneur at the job. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I think people who grew up here that are from that minority space, um, whether you're black or Latinx or you're Asian, whatever it may be, if you grew up here in Grand Rapids, I think it forces you to not quit. It forces you to find out what it is you need to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. I think if you make it in Grand Rapids, you can make it anywhere. I believe in that. You can make it in this city, you can make it anywhere. You know what I mean? And I just encourage people all the time to just, man, keep your eyes open, man, and be open-minded and open. I don't know, man. We have to we have to want it more, right? And then do what's necessary to obtain it, you know? That's one thing that I've always told myself I got to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and you guys have encouraged me. You and your group of friends have encouraged me to dream bigger all the time. Got to. Yeah. And I... You know, I think in little Midwest town terms, and you guys think global. No, gotta think global. Yeah, because I I knew like we got my friends, and I wanted to bring some guys here when I came because they always give me inspiration to tell the story a little bit better. Yeah. but everybody's <laughs> busy right now. It's COVID, <laughs> shit going on. But like if my brother was here, Saquon, and if Jelks was here, and like my, my man Sonny, like if they were here, they would inspire me to, to probably. Tell you more. Yeah, I do interviews and they listen to the interviews and they call me. Why are you talk about this? Why are you talk about that? You should have came, dude. I, they're not probably would have talked about it. You know what I'm saying? Well, but, we're not even halfway done yet. Yeah, so don't even get excited for sure. But it's, it's, I leave out a lot of shit. Cause I, it's just been it's just been the thing, man. This 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 journey's been the thing. You know what I'm saying? But um, so we talked about your education a lot. Yeah. Um, I want to talk specifically about music because I think people are probably curious, like. Why you? Why did you get picked from Grand Rapids? Yeah. Like, you're one of the only people to make it from here. Yeah. How? What, obviously, we've talked about what made you different. For sure. And it does make you unique, and it, it's why people follow you from yeah. your fan base, because your rap is more than just rap. It's intellectual, you right. know? Yeah. Um, but I want to hear more about 
the process of making it and what that looked like sure. and then your years. See, I, I, just to pick you off what you're saying, I didn't get picked, right? Yeah. I went to go get it. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it nobody came and just pulled me out of Jonathan the litter. told me you were going to say that when we talked. Yeah, no, nah, nobody picked me <laughs> for anything. Like, I was just telling you, I had the idea. You know? Yeah. I knew exactly what I needed to do. So I didn't wait to get picked, right? I went and, I went and got it. You know what I'm saying? So I knew growing up here, if you're really connected with music as a business, you have to know that there's no opportunity for a hip-hop artist in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Back in the 90s. Yeah. Early 2000s, mid-2000s. Forget about it. Like We didn't even have a... We didn't have an urban FM radio station. We still it's, don't, really. We still kind of don't, really. <laughs> How the hell... Right? Are yeah. you going to make it as a hip-hop artist where your focus is only Grand Rapids? Of course you have to get the hometown behind you, Yeah, which is what I did, which I encourage all of the young guys to do. Yeah, you got you to start at home, but you got to take the show on the road. Right. And I knew that. And that's not just rap. That's all music. There's that's not, all music. There's not a music industry there's, here that can support you. There's not a music industry in Grand Rapids. Yeah. That's a fact. But... You do have fans here. And right now, the way things are with streams and YouTube and all of that, you can connect with the people. Um, but I just encourage people to to build it here, but take it beyond here. I encourage that if you really want to do it for real. And I told my friends that. We used to rap um, 13, 14 years old. We was rapping. Like, I probably really been rapping since I was maybe like six, seven years old. Because like my dad was a record collector and he was a DJ. He had like he used to do like mixtapes before mixtapes was a thing. He's always put music from the vinyl to the cassette. That's what he did. Okay. In the neighborhood, people would go and see him to put the music on cassettes because people had cassette players in their cars. Yeah. But vinyl in the house. Okay. So how do I get my vinyl collection in my car? Yeah. Like that was the plight in our neighborhood. You know a guy, he got hundreds of vinyl, but only a couple tapes. So my dad was the guy in our neighborhood that would put all of the vinyl recordings on cassette tapes. Okay. So folks would come by my grandmother's house and get their vinyls on cassettes. So we had every everything that came out that was rap, like my dad had it. Yeah. Everything. And my friend's parents, of course, didn't have <laughs> shit like that because they probably weren't, I don't know what it was, but they probably weren't as, as young as my dad was. They probably weren't as savvy as my dad was, but I had everything. I had all of the music. I, every rapper it was, I, I had it. You know what I'm saying? Like every tape, every song. So I would go to school and I would rap all of the rap songs like they were mine. And I would tell the kids they were my songs. So I would go. Because you're around all these white kids who don't know. They, they don't know. So I would go to school and I would rap like, you know, whatever it may be. Whether it's a rock camera, EPMD, or whatever it was. And I would say, these are my songs. But this is actually before I went to like, Vandenberg and see, this is when I went to Oakdale. I was in okay. the neighborhood. I was on Evergreen and um, Eastern. I was in, I was in the hood, and I used to go and do it all the time. And then I started saying, you know what? I don't gotta say this. I can do this myself. So I just started like putting my own words together and just rapping, and people were really impressed, and they really liked what I was doing, and I loved the way it felt to get that attention. I loved it. It was like a bug, was like yo. But then I used to like. I loved it more when I knew it was my stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I used to stand on the playground and just rap. And and folks, I used to be in the mall with my mom. And there would be guys from my neighborhood. And these guys are probably, you know, these are neighborhood guys. So they got money from doing things in the street and shit like that. These are cool guys. These are tough guys. These are, you know, these are 
well-to-do guys from the neighborhood, and I'd be in the mall with my mom, and they'll stop, like, hey, that's that's little homie from the, yo, from around the way. They tell my mom, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, can we, can, do you mind if we rap? Like, you know, and she'd be like, what? You know? <laughs> and I'd rap in the mall, and they be like, yo, yo, yo. Like, and he's like older guys. I'm probably like six, seven, eight years old. They're probably 15, 16 years old. But they got chopping bags and jewelry on, and these are guys from the neighborhood. So they just like, rap, man, rap, little shorty rap. This is before everybody wanted to rap. See, yeah. this, that's another thing. We don't got to get too far into that. But now everybody's a fucking rapper, right? Back then, it was like you had your thing that you did. You wasn't a rapper, per se. But the guys who didn't rap but were leaders in our community admired me as a young guy who were able to put those words together like that. And I got a lot of attention, and I liked it. So that kind of like inspired me to go forward with that. So fast forward, me and my guys, I'm probably like middle school, and we had a group called the Shogun, and we modeled ourselves after the Wu-Tang Clan like really closely. Like We did everything they did and wanted to sound like them and wanted to look like them and wanted to do everything that they did. And I told my guys, I said, yo, this, like, this is something we can really do for real. And it seemed like a really big dream that you really couldn't probably embrace as a reality. If you're coming from the southeast side of Grand Rapids in the late 90s, you probably thought it was crazy. I'm a kid telling you this. I'm going to do this thing. And then my brother went and got a record deal and started his own label and had association with the Wu-Tang Clan, which is really crazy because I'm telling my guys. These are your idols. These are my idols. Yeah. And you go in my bedroom, I got Wu-Tang posters and pictures and all, all my walls in my house, in my room is Wu-Tang. And then my brother goes and really links up with them in real time. I told I said, I, said, I told you I was going to do it. But by then I'm getting older. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, yo, I got to, you know, I got to figure out what I'm going to do in real life bef- in, until that happens. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So I'll, I always did well in school, so I'm going to go to college. You know what I'm saying? So I went down to Atlanta, and I said, I'm going to get a record deal down here, and I'm going to get a degree. So either I'm going to go be a lawyer or I'm going to go be a rapper, one or the other. Like, yeah. it, it's it's going to happen, you know. It's a lawyer, a rapper, or I'm going to be, um, it's a movie called Boomerang, or Eddie Murphy. You ever seen it before? No. It's a movie, it's uh, Boomerang, he was in New York City. Mark, his name was Marcus Graham in the film. He was like a marketing advertisement director guy working at some really cool firm, a bunch of ladies. He had a cool-ass job. Was like, I was going to be like that. I was That's be, my dream. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Minus the ladies. Yeah, I don't really yeah. care about that. I'm going to be Marcus Graham with all these ladies and have my nice house and be it this visual audio marketing guy or I'm going to, which is interesting because what we do right now is yeah. marketing for it. So I'm going to be this big marketing guy or I'm going to go to law school or I'm going to be a rapper. I, I I probably was in the seventh grade and I said that and I was able to damn near do all three of those, you know what I'm saying, in yeah. some aspect. Um, I said that in seventh grade and I buckled into that. And so when I went to Atlanta to go to Clark, you know, went to school, met up with some really cool guys down there, my man Don Cannon, my homeboy DJ Drama, my man DJ Sense, and we started this collective called The Affiliates. And that collective grew into becoming a pillar in the hip-hop community. My man Drama started this uh, brand called Gangsta Grill, started doing mixtapes for the major artists, Young Jeezy and Lil Wayne and Gucci and all, and all these guys, and became like a fixture. And this is my man, so I'm watching him put it together while we had our company together with The Affiliates. And... um. I was just doing a lot of music and hustling and moving around and meeting people and putting out my product and doing shows. And we caught the attention of some labels and they came and offered me a bunch of deals. And um, we picked it. We picked the right deal to start our own company. And then I was like the artist under the company that we started. 
So I helped my guys build a company. I became the first artist on the company that we built. And I told my brother to get involved and he started doing some management stuff. And then, um, you know, I was with Warner Brothers with Asylum and the rest is history, man. We toured the world and we went to Dubai and we went to Switzerland and Japan and Norway and Germany and just selling out shows and having a blast and just making a bunch of money and really just, you know what I'm saying, actualizing our dreams, you know. And then I took that, I took the money I made from that and, um, Started getting calls from jokes, and he was like, "Yo, man, you gotta come back home and make some investments at home and start up some things." I, you know, I'm in Atlanta just living. You know what I'm saying? I got properties, a real estate. Shit. I'm, I'm just chilling, like, yeah. just living a life. I got, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I made, I made so much money that I just got comfortable. Yeah. And stopped aspiring to do the next thing. Like I thought I made it, right? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like I'm good. Like you know, I'm, I'm solid. I got investments. I got residual income, publishing. My kids in private school. I got two or three BMWs. I got two or three. I, what am I doing? Like I'm, I made it. Like, but then he calls me like, "Yo, man, don't stop." You know, I got more like ideas for us. You know, and wild love jokes to this day is because he was there the whole time. Like he yeah. was from before my record deal to my record deal to after my record deal to this very day. He still calls me as the same person and says, "Yo, man, what's next? Like, what are you gonna do next? Like, it's not enough." You know what I'm saying? So I said, all right, we'll take the capital and, and invest it in here in the town. So we started GRUSA, and then that turned into Ambiance, and then that turned into Motivijay, and then that turned into Radiator, and then that turned into doing this film with uh, Kevin Wilmot. I mean, it's crazy. We just got an offer from Hulu and HBO, like, you know, and then we're trying to you know, open this bar in Ghana right now. <laughs> it's, it, yo, it's just like one thing after the next after the next, like we can't stop. We yeah. can't stop, you know. It's a real crazy situation. Yeah. Okay. Well, just taking over the world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can hear my cat knocking on a door. Um, we're gonna take a break so we can fit the ad break in. Yeah, and, for sure. And then for we sure. will um come back and talk a little bit more in detail about how you kept your residual income because mm. I think that really differentiates you from a lot of people for in sure. the industry. So we're gonna take a break and then we'll come back. Do 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 do. I'm so proud to say that this podcast is brought to you in partnership with Motu Vijay Spirits. Motu Vijay Spirits is a local premium black-owned liquor and spirits company. And yes, they make stuff right here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. They are quality products focused on bringing people together to experience the finer things in life every day. If you want to check it out, you can find their Motu Vijay Brute at Meyer stores, over 300 of them, in fact. And if you can't find it there, you can always head to your local liquor store. And while you're at it, you can pick up a bottle of their premium sipping vodka, which I highly recommend as a vodka drinker. It's called Avani. And if you can't get them there, you can always go online to motuvjspirits.com. That's M-O-T-U-V-I-G-E-T spirits.com. Thank you to Motu VJ Spirits for sponsoring our show. Okay, so we're back. Holy shit. Um, tell me a little bit about being famous, in quotes, because I refuse to admit you're famous so that I can keep my cool, <laughs> um, <laughs> and how you, how you differentiated yourself and kept your wealth instead of 
I mean, you have all the things that you would think a famous rapper would have. You've got cars, you've got multiple properties, you've got companies that you own. How did you, how did you do that and Um, not let the fame like take over? Just being grounded, right? As a regular person, always, right? As being a, a dad and a son and a brother and a friend, like making sure those things were important, you know. I've seen guys come into a situation and their grandmother's calling by their stage name and shit like that. It's wow. Real, real, real cringy for me. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Or, or have to wear your jewelry all the time or have to, you know, be the industry person all the time. And maybe that's the reason why I'm not in certain spaces that other people are because I don't approach the situation like that. But I rather just I rather just still be like my son's dad, yeah, every day, or just be my my mom's son, or be my brother's brother. You know, you know, I just rather be that first, right? Yeah, before I'm everything else. You know what I'm saying? And then even after that, I'd rather just be the successful businessman. Yeah, and then I just rather be a good person. Before all of that, right, and right. then you know, I just my like my like my, my priority, my hierarchy of priorities, of how I envision myself and how I position myself and approach all of this shit is probably a little bit different than everybody else. I don't want to be known by my stage name first. You know what I'm saying? I want to be known just as a as a solid person, a good person first, and then everything else just you know falls into place. Like I said, maybe that's to a fault, right? Because I know the guys who make it far, the guys who drop everything and just make this shit their end-all, be-all, you know what I'm saying, and salute to them, but, you know. Yeah, but are they really happy? I don't know. I just know what what it, what it takes for me yeah. to get my feel. Like, you know what I'm saying? I got I to gotta really be whole at the end of the day, every day. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got to be right. You know what I'm saying? I got to be good with my people, and the money got to be right for the the work I do every day and like those are my priorities. You know what I'm saying? So maybe that's what differentiates, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. No, I mean you act like a normal guy. Got to. <laughs> so that yeah. helps a lot. Yeah. Um if I can go if I can walk anywhere in this city right now. Yeah. And people stop me and they love me. Yeah. Because I never, you know what I'm saying, stood on a persona or stood on this idea. You know what I'm saying? Well, like, and no. you can walk in public and not be everywhere. And not I be... go on this. I go, I go to Maya right now. Oh my God, bro! Oh, can I get a picture? Oh, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like organically, like you know what I'm saying? It ain't. You know what I'm saying? The energy is good. The energy is yeah, good. and it's not like you have to worry about like paparazzi life and people getting too invasive because you nah. just talk to people. Yeah, right? I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't carry it like that. You know, Do you ever of, have people try you know, to get a lot to, of, you know, a lot of those people with the paparazzi shit, you know they pay them to meet them in places and take pictures of them? I did know that, but I don't think everyone knows that. Right. I mean, I work, you understand I, that dynamic? I have a media degree, so I, yeah, but, but right. not everyone knows that. Yeah. It's a they, part of their They call and say, hey, I'm about to be at this restaurant, at this hotel, this party. Can you come and take a bunch of pictures of me and make a big deal of me in front of people? Yeah. Or their agent does that, or whoever, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's then it's done, done, and then they organically start getting people that are just doing it without the call. Yeah, but they're curating that energy. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I just watched and that I Britney never... Spears documentary, and her she, dad and shit. Yeah, they used yeah. to do that, and she had the same paparazzi would follow her around all the time. They even interviewed one of them because they knew so much about her life. So. so I don't know if that's something I ever wanted to, you know, 
curate. I don't I'm know. your paparazzi, so. Hey, Sam, I appreciate it. <laughs> looking good. We're looking real good right now. <laughs> um, yeah, have you ever had issues with people being too invasive in your life? Of course. Okay. How did you deal with it? Um, um, conversation. Okay. You know, violence. I, mean, I, don't, I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> it, it got dissolved. It, got, it got taken care yeah, of. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about like songwriting and you've released what? Three albums now this year? This year? None. In 2021. Zero. Okay. In 2020. In 2022. Two. Okay. Yeah. Two. So that's a lot of writing. Yeah. In 2018, I put like eight albums out. I didn't know that artists ever put multiple albums out in a year until we Googled it. And I saw that the Beatles did like 24 albums in one year. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, they were just in the studio 24-7. But how does that process work for you? Do you get beats first from people? Do you have an idea and write it down do you have like a book of poems that you use like how do you write um or is that confidential information no, okay is it's, it's not it's not a routine regimen okay that happens the same every time you know that's not i don't i don't have a ritual okay um are there that, some artists that do have rituals for of that of course there are okay there's some artists that do it the same way every single time because they, they're, they're chasing the high, right? Right. They put a song out and everybody liked it, so they do that song exactly the same every time to try to get that same experience. What I rely on is inspiration. Okay. So, like, of course I rely on a production. That's number one. If the beat speaks to me, then the song happens. I can write a song in 15 minutes. Okay. If I really like the beat. The beat's what drives everything to me. The music. Okay. The music has to make me identify with it. It has to inspire me. And when it does that, it's it's like it's it's like a it's like a divine thing where the Lord gets involved and yeah. the song just comes together like this. I don't even gotta it's effortless. I can get if if I like to be, I grab my phone and just start typing. And well just, I've been there when you were writing because someone you sent were? you a beat while we were at Buffalo Traders. And you put your headphones in and just ignored everyone around you oh, and I, started writing. You were around? Yeah. Oh, and I shit. didn't know that was what you were doing, but you, you're you usually pretty engaged when we're talking yeah. and you were in another world. Yeah. And I was like, oh, either he's making money or he's writing a song. <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> That's what happens. If, if the, I, don't, I, I don't even remember what you're talking about, yeah. but I know it happens Well, just we like spent that. a lot of time together during quarantine. Of course. So. But I'm not... Not during quarantine, but, but you know what I mean. yeah, pre-quarantine. But I, but I know what you're saying is a fact because that's exactly what happens. Yeah, I, someone has sent something to my phone, and most times it's my homeboy V Don, right? They send something to my phone, and it's like a joint, and I hear it, and I'll just write right there on the spot, done. Yeah, and then I'll just keep it, and then I'll probably, I'll probably go back through it one time or two times and change up a couple things to increase the impact or to really just articulate it better. And then when I get in the studio, then I just cut it. And okay. That's it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I just I have to be inspired. Like I'm I write a lot of my music in my car, going and coming from dinner. Okay. So I go to a nice restaurant and we get bottles of wine and we get a bunch of seafood and shit like that. And then like when I leave, <laughs> on the way home, I'll probably write a song about medium rare steak. Some shit, right? <laughs> on the way there, I write a song. You know, like. 
I'm out. I'm in the city. You know, so I'm in the car. I'm just, you know, what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just inspired. The energy has to be there. Or sometimes I'm writing shit at home, and I just, I come to like a like a roadblock. I just stop, and I'll get a shower, I get dressed, and get in the car, and go downtown for dinner, and then the song. And I put, I, I play the beat again in the car, and it just starts spilling back out. So like a lot of that shit, I, I create just in the car. Okay. That's why it sounds like the, I was like, are oh, you talking about a lot of lifestyle shit, a lot of food, a drink? Because a lot of the music comes to me while I'm going to well, dinner. And that is your lifestyle. I swear to you. Yeah. And I try not to even post a lot of that shit all the time because it's, it's corny. Everybody does this shit. But I'm probably going out to dinner four or five times a week, if, or or at least lunch. Like I'm like I'm probably going out to restaurants. More way more than I should. We have like. too good of a time. Is <laughs> what it is. We're probably at restaurants drinking champagne, drinking wine. My body rebelled hey, over quarantine but, because it was like you've had too much fun for the past man, six months. I'm probably doing that shit five times a week. Like no lie, four, I, I no lie, like four or five times a week. And when I'm doing that shit, I'm engaging with chefs and I'm engaging with different. Palettes and different cuisines. I'm engaging with different spirits and different wines. And I'm pairing beer and I'm pairing this and I'm these spirits and I, I'm doing all of that shit. Like I'm a gourmand, like in real life, like every day. Like you know what I'm saying? So like a lot of that shit gets into the music because that's really what I'm doing. And those are actually the same moments where I get inspired yeah. to write the music. So well, you're you're absorbing other people's creativity, right? Indeed. When you go and eat a good meal or have a good conversation. You're an artist space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially the chef table. We got a table right there by the kid. You see the kitchen, you see everybody getting busy in there. And the chef comes down and says, How was the meal? And I guess it's cool. Hey, we try this, you go get a shot and come back and take a shot with the chef. Like that shit happens all the time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so, those are the best nights. And it, and it's happening three, four, five times a week. So it's like, you know what I'm saying? No matter what city I'm in, like I could be in Charlotte, I could be in Atlanta, I could be in Grand Rapids, I could be in Detroit, I could be in New York, I could be in wherever I'm at, and it's it's, it's like that, you know yeah. what I'm saying, like real life, so a lot of that shit gets spilled over into the music, you know? Yeah. My life's a little bit like that on a smaller scale, but <laughs> um, yeah, th- those are the moments that make all of the hard work worth it, really. Of course. Yeah. But to answer your question in a shorter way, I just need to be inspired. Okay. And and it sounds like you don't do a lot of like analyzing after you write. Like I, because my husband it does music stuff sure. occasionally, and sure. I've known a few friends who've done music, and they get caught up in rewriting a million times, whether it's the beat or the lyrics or oh, whatever, no, I don't do that. and they like overanalyze it and then just never release anything. You just I learned my lesson from that. I did that as a kid. Okay. Right. Being insecure and worrying and overthinking and uh, combing through it and trying to be this profession, this perfectionist. I've done, I've done that growing up. I'm so far gone. Like I rap right now just for the love of the music. It's a sport, right? I just do it because I'm really fucking talented. Like you know, but I do business for a living. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like I do business, so I don't worry about what How somebody famous think. You're getting. How famous I'm getting, or, or or how people think about the music, or what I don't care. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause the business is where I score, right? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not relying on music to be the score. I'm relying on music to be a therapeutic moment for me to connect with the listeners. And I'm a, and I told I told my guy evidence the other day when you get in that space, the 
the music actually gets a lot better. Yeah. And the process gets a lot more fun when you're not giving a fuck about what somebody think about it or what you should have said this instead of that or that thinking too hard and double checking and all that shit. I'm in this space now and I've been in this space for a few years, thank God, where I don't care. Yeah. Do you think that's a luxury that care. comes from having success in the past or do you think anyone could be that even depends if on who you are okay depends on what your thresholds extend to depends what your appetite is like you know but for me i do business for a living yeah you know i'm a, I'm a business person i'm an entrepreneur like i'm a, I'm, a, I'm a connecting guy you know what i mean i'm a i take an idea and turn it into a dollar like that's that's what i do so the music is just that's that's where I have fun at. That's therapeutic. And then, no, oh, I take a check by the way. You know, I, you know, <laughs> right? And I get paid over there too. So, I think once you're in that space, and it kind of like alleviates the pressure, right? Yeah. It alleviates the intensity, and now you can focus on just being a great musician, you know, a great artist, you know, a great expressionist, and yeah, that's how it is for me most of the time. Yeah, I hear that you have a pretty good eye for talent. Your friends talk about you like latching on to things and really like helping them grow, which oh, yeah. you've done with me. But yeah. they say you do that regularly. Yeah, yeah. Is that like something you enjoy doing? Mm-hmm. Is finding talent in other people. You know what? I'm glad you asked that question. That's a really great fucking question. Not only do I enjoy it, but I put this pressure on myself to make it my responsibility. Yeah, I task myself with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I always do it. Um, if my friends told you that about me, it's true because I would see something or hear something or get access to something and say, well, damn, how can I grow that into something more? Yeah. How could I help that person? Or how could I help this idea? Or how could we turn this into, you know, especially here in West Michigan? Like, You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like I have a duty, right, to support the talent around here, to, to connect people, to connect concepts. No, I, I feel like I, I got to be a curator. I got to do that, you know. And if I'm not, I'm just sitting on all of this shit for no reason. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't matter. But, yeah, do I enjoy it? Yeah. But more than enjoying it, I, I task myself with that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, when I saw your work, I told Justin, I said, hey, man, who shot them pictures? He didn't even know at first. He's like, oh. <laughs> and he asked CJ, I think. He's like, oh, girl, Samantha. I said, man, get her on the phone. Right? <laughs> ASAP. Because I'm looking for somebody to capture what it is we're doing. And we had some photographers we worked with in the past. And shout out to them. But when I seen your work, I said, this is how it should look. You know, like, this is, like, these are the notes and in, in the, the viscosity that we need. Like, like, like this, is what we, this is what it should be like. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, we got hooked up. I guess you, you sent me... You, uh, a selfie with me and Chuck. Yeah, he said, "Yeah, I found her. This is the girl." I'm like, "Yeah, great. Yeah, man. Put yo, please pay her, get her together. Let me know what she wants. Let's go." You know what I'm saying? Like, definitely. definitely. And now, like, you guys have welcomed me in like a part of the family, and I honestly Absolutely. like am so grateful for you guys yeah. because yeah, yeah. I I swear, jokes tells me that you have meetings about how my business is going to grow behind my back and All what kind time. of friends. How lucky am I to have friends who are like, how do we make make our other friends more but, money? Let me tell you, anybody who, if I pull you close to me, my objective is to make you rich. My yeah. objective is to help you grow. And luckily, I love money. Yeah, for sure. That's the my, one thing my we have in is common. how I can help you, you know what I'm saying? 
or how can we work together to to collaborate? So that's how it gets done, right? When everybody works together, networks. Yeah. You know, I, I always believe in team building. Like I'm a team builder. That's what I do. Even if it's just for a task, and then when the task is over, we go our own way. It's cool. Yeah. But let's come together and figure this out. Like we did that gala party at the uh, yeah. public museum it was a blast because we all worked together. Yeah. So it was great. It was a it was a crazy event. You it see what so happens? Good. Yeah. Like that was beautiful. Like that was probably one of the best things I've ever seen in this city. Yeah. Ever. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was, and it was right before quarantine started. Uh, it was like. The best. Yeah, it was the best, man. Everybody had on suits and dresses, and we had the Vani and the most. And you and I were running the place. Running the place. <laughs> so I want I want to make sure there was pictures of everything. This has to be captured. Yeah, and I we had, did it. Yo, we had like two or three different videographers, two or three photographers. You and I were like joined at the hip all night, catching everything. We had all different people in the building, you know, Different experiences, different races, different genders, different. I mean, yo, that was the most diverse and electrical event I probably ever curated ever in my life. And definitely the most diverse and electrical event in Grand Rapids ever. Oh my God. Yo, I think Grand Rapids owes us a a fucking badge of honor or something for that event, man. Yeah, come on, man. Let's talk a little bit about your efforts to you. Come on, man. The city has never been able to pull something together quite like that. Ever. Like, I've never seen nothing that You know what they owe intense. you? A check. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we pulling that out anyway. We that uh, out let's anyway. talk a little bit about you and your friends and how how hard you guys work to unify Grand Rapids. Oh, my god! This is something man. that I'm trying to talk a lot more about. Oh, man. Because I'm passionate about it, and you know that, and we're mm. on the same page, about mm. having honest conversations about race in Grand Rapids. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um. I want to give you credit, first of all. Your group of friends has gone above and beyond to not as to not only acknowledge the disparity in the third ward of government resources and just experiences in general, but also like taking it to the next level by coming back and investing in the community. Yeah, yeah. Um and it's it's crazy being around you guys all the time because you're right. There always is one more next thing of how we're going to build it. But yeah. I want to contribute by having the conversation, right? Sure. So so let's talk a little bit about how marketing in Grand Rapids has had to be kind of different. Because the reason we connected is because Grand Rapids is so divided. And you started this liquor brand. And you've got the the black population unlocked. They know who you are. It's great, but in Grand Rapids, you have to bridge the gap somehow. Right. And CJ came in first, and you guys are innovative because you acknowledge race, but we say all the time the only color we see is green, and I think that's it's a great way to unify Grand Rapids. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. And before the green, right? Yeah. We should talk about the yellow, blue, and red, right? Mm-hmm. Grand Rapids, the Calder, the city, the logo. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's how I approached unifying the city. Coming with that yellow that, that, that yellow sun with the red color logo with the with, with the Grand River with the blue. I thought those colors are where we begin, right? Yeah. We start with the yellow, red, and blue. And um that's what kind of what birthed GRUSA, right? Yeah. Like I could have easily did a Willie the Kid clothing line, right? You know, but that's, that's not you. That's not me, right? So I'm thinking about what can I do to get Everybody feeling like this is theirs as well. Like I don't want nothing that's just mine. 
I want the city to be able to own this. And GRUSA came from that. Okay. It came from us saying, like, let's make Grand Rapids, GR, right? A global city, USA. Like, let's make this a global, you know, location. Let's shine more light on the city as an entity. Yeah. And one thing about this city, whether you're black, white, rich, poor, west, east, north, south, male, female, straight, gay, Asian, Korean, whatever you may be, if you grew, if you're born and raised or live in this city, you love this city. Yeah. That's a common denominator that transcends beyond any demographic or category, any type of anything. We love the city. So if I'm going to create my brand, the f- my first introduction into entrepreneurship in this city beyond music, right? It's going to be something that's going to bridge the gap and pull us all together. You know what I'm saying? And that was the concept behind GRUSA. We all love this fucking city. So let's just do something that celebrates the city, not that celebrates me as some sort of musician or some sort of tycoon or celebrates my culture or celebrates my experience or celebrates someone else's experience that I know nothing about. Like, no, no, no. Let's do something that we all can take ownership and admiration in. You know what I'm saying? And that's where GRUSA came from. And that was just the beginning, you know. Well, and that that draws attention, too, to something like we may have completely different experiences, right? Me growing up on the on the north side of Grand Rapids and you growing up on the southeast side, like we – or southwest side. I don't know which. East Bay. East. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, it – we had completely different experiences growing up, but that can be a beautiful thing, right? To learn those things from each other and not and not focus on the differences, but focus on the fact that we do all love this city, sure. even though our experiences were so different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that like like that's what it's about, right? Getting to know one one another, getting to expose, getting access to other experiences, and getting exposed to other experiences. But without us having to go on the north side from the south or from the south from the north. If we just represent this brand, yeah, we all land there, mm-hmm. and that was the big thing that put us all together the whole freaking time, right? That was being here the whole time. Yeah, we we all love Grand Rapids, no matter where we're from, in the city. You know what I'm saying? So, especially what I see a lot of, and I'm really proud of, I transplant folks who are from Grand Rapids but no longer live here. So yeah. if you're in Kentucky because you have to move there for work, or if you're in New York, because you have to go there for school, or you took a job in California, but you're from Grand Rapids, you can now represent your city away from the city. That's why the flag is the logo. It's planting the flag wherever you are. Yeah. You don't got to wear a Detroit Tigers hat. You can wear a Grand Rapids hat. You know what I'm saying? You got to wear a Detroit Lions t-shirt. You can wear a Grand Rapids t-shirt. Because outside of Grand Rapids, outside of us, where can you get official merchandise from your city? Right? You got to wear Detroit shit. Yeah. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like, and, that's that's a void, right? Yeah. And we love Detroit, right? Of course. Yeah, but not as much as I love Grand Rapids. Exactly. So it's like there has to be a response to the void, you know, especially if you live in Memphis or if you live in Virginia, if you live in, you got to wear Detroit Tigers hat and act like you represent your city. When the experience in Detroit is so different than the Totally yeah. different. Which I you, love it. I'm growing to love it the older I, I get. I love but. Detroit, but let me tell you something. If you 26, 27, 30, 35, 40 years old and been in Grand Rapids for 30 years, 20 years and got to move, you know, to yeah. Florida for work because you got some big promotion and you got to represent the Detroit Tigers, <laughs> but you're really from Grand Rapids. Yeah. GRUSA helps you say, hey, I can rep, the, I can rep my city. Yeah. 
you know, because you don't see a lot of Griffin's merch. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. even though they're bomb, they're bomb. But I'm just trying to say, you, you don't see a lot of White Caps merch, but but you don't see people outside of Grand Rapids representing yeah. Grand Rapids because there's nothing quote unquote cool for them to have a, a, you know, a tangible item that's cool for them to have to represent the town. Yeah, and that's what GRUSA is about: giving them a tangible item that they can wear and represent the city outside the city. You know. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so we got the clothing brand, and you can't even keep it in stock most of the time because it's just selling so fast. Yo, I get this shit because I, you know, jokes and I are like hands on with that shit yeah. still to this day. You know, like we're really still like watching everything come and go. You know, we're still. Curating, we got a team, but we are still like hands on yeah. with the brand. When that shit goes up, like especially a new product, when it goes up, it's damn near sold out, man. In two, three days, it's gone. Yeah, you can't even get it to me to shoot because and, people buy it all. And I'm telling all my friends, like, yo, we got a new thing dropping. You might want to buy it. You might want to support. You might want to reach out. And everybody always does this. We, we announce it, we drop it, it sells out, and then they call us, hey, bro. Can I get one of the mats? I'm like, yo, I, yo, I just told you this shit's going to go out. Like, this, and it does. And you and, didn't learn your lesson last time. And they've been saying that every single time. I think people like to complain more than they like to support. You know well, they want to feel special. They want to feel like Me they... too, damn it. You know what <laughs> <laughs> I want to feel special too. But you know me... what makes you feel special? When people buy your stuff. Exactly. <laughs> God damn. And I'm doing it for y'all, right? Like, I'm not, you know, like... Yeah, like you know what I'm saying? It's not about me. I, I get money in other places. I'm trying to do something for the town. Like so help me support the town. Yeah. It's like Mo too, right? And I'm I'm gonna take this time to say this. Like, yo, we've probably we've probably done a lot for other champagne brands in this town by creating our own company that has a champagne. Yeah, because people are looking in the champagne section. And people want to just support anybody else but you. It's this weird dynamic where they want to support. Like, we probably did a lot for Bel Air by creating Motu Vijay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I've been drinking. I'll show you time-dated pictures on my Instagram. I'll pull up pictures. I've been drinking champagne damn near since I was 17 years old. Yeah. I got pictures, photos, videos. I have champagne all my videos. It's before Motu Vijay. Yeah. I've been a champagne guy. This town isn't a champagne town. Mm-mm. This town is a Hennessy town in my community. You Not in my community. It's a red wine. Red wine. And your craft community. beer. Craft beer. Your community. Yeah. In my community, this is a Hennessy Remy Martin town. Okay. It's not a champagne town. I ain't seen so much champagne on social media <laughs> in my fucking life. That's not Motu. Until we did Motu. <laughs> yeah. The moment we did Mo 2, everybody's drinking champagne. You see more Bel Air, more Dom Perignon, more Moet than you've ever what? seen, more click on than you've ever seen in your fucking life. I got to comment on this because, <laughs> yo, yo, it's loud and clear. I've been a champagne guy. Been. That's why we started with a champagne. Yeah. And, the, and for the record, Mo 2 is not a champagne company. Yeah. We're a craft spirits company. Right. Got a champagne and vibe. Got a wine coming out this summer and, and a few more wines coming out the rest of the year. We got a, got a couple of beer, beer products coming out. We're, we're a spirits company. Yeah. But I've never seen as much champagne in my community on social media <laughs> as I've seen since we've launched 
Motuvije. So Belair owes us money. Moet owes us money. Clico <laughs> owes us money. Don Perignon owes us money. You know what I'm saying? And it's just, it's just an interesting dynamic. You know what I'm saying? We're just going to clip that and have that be the promo. Okay? Like, you know, shit is crazy. <laughs> shit is wild, man. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> let's move from GRUSA to let's, tell me a little bit about like the documentary work and all the stuff you did before we met up doing Motu stuff. Yeah. Um, jokes. You know, his father, Dr. Randall Jokes. You know, that's, that's that's my big homie. He's a professor down at the University of Kansas, and he's a part of a conglomerate, a scholastic conglomerate, um, that includes some members who have access to the estate and the biography on Langston Hughes. Okay. And Dr. Benno Joseph is a genius. He's he, he's written books and spoke about the, the, the black experience here in Grand Rapids and abroad. Um He's a person that's uh, deliberate about telling the story of our experience. Yeah. And I think Langston Hughes is one of the more dynamic characters from our culture that doesn't get the proper attention. And him and his team down there decided to form uh, an initiative to get a documentary started. And it's a genius idea. Um, Along with doing that, he petitioned his son Jonathan and myself to help him carry that idea to our generation and the younger generation and just the hip-hop community, period. Um, I liken it to the way Spike Lee curated the Malcolm X film uh, back in the 90s. He had Denzel Washington playing a role of Malcolm X, but why that film did so well is because they brought that film uh, beyond a scholastic piece, an academic piece, a historical piece, and made it a hip-hop piece. Okay. In my community, everybody had X hats and X jackets and X T-shirts and Malcolm X medallions. Da, da, da. They made that a part of the culture. And if that's the way you want to push a narrative, you have to connect with the culture. Yeah. You can't wait for the, the culture to connect with you. And I think that was his idea. And he just charged us to be producers to connect this film with the culture. You know okay. what I'm saying? And that's what we've been doing. Um, we've got Kevin Wilmot. As the director, he's an Academy Award winning director. Uh, you know, he won an award with Spike Lee for Black Klansman, and um, they did Chirac, and he did the, uh, the Twenty Four. Like, like this, like he's a dynamic director who who also teaches at the University of Kansas with Dr. Randall Joke. So it's it's an organic, honest, straight up, real thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, uh, we brought in the Terry Turner, who's responsible for Uncorked and growing up hip hop and. He's a he's a young thoroughbred doing this thing on him hot black Hollywood is we're bringing the we're bringing the best of all worlds together to make this thing a, a statement piece okay for not only the times but for the culture during the times I think what's going on right now for the African American experience just abroad it's it's no time like right now yeah to do a film like this you know what I'm saying so we're, we're honored and we're and it's, it's, we're excited about yeah. putting this together you know and and Langston particularly. Um, was the voice of the Harlem Renaissance, and he was the first poet to talk about our experience and get paid for it. So to me, he was the original rapper. Oh, yeah. So me being a rapper, looking at him, like he was the first rapper. He's a poet that talked about the experience and got paid. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So, but he was also an activist and a screenwriter and you know a lot of other, a mentor and a teacher and a director and a leader. Apart from writing, you know what I'm saying? So 
Yeah. Asking me to get involved with that, fuck yeah. Like, you know, yeah, do it. seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Do you guys have any, like, solid timeline for that, or are you still working We're on working it? We're working on it. Okay. Uh, honestly, the COVID took a hit on the production mm-hmm. uh, of doing it, but we're working on it. And we're shopping it right now to get more partners involved, and yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be great. Okay. Great. Um, so then you also have a tech project, a club opening here in Grand Rapids. Yes. There's all sorts of stuff coming up. You got <laughs> it's crazy. so many balls up in the air. Oh, You're opening man. a club in Ghana. Yeah. Yeah, we are. So tell us a little bit about your hopes and dreams for the future. Uh, it's like I'm focused on right now, right? What we do right now will determine what happens in the future. But, um, yeah, we do one thing and it turns into something else. Um. Yeah, we're opening the club here in Grand Rapids downtown, Ambiance GR, on Pearl Street, the old rags to riches, you know, come and support us. We're bringing entertainment and nightlife from our experience, but it's a diverse rollout. It's a diverse invitation. We want jazz nights. We want country nights. We want pop nights. We want teen nights. We want college nights. We want everything in there. Like, it's, it's, it's not the black club downtown. Yeah. Like, forget that. Like... We are just the entertainment hub in downtown Grand Rapids. We want to be we want to be number one downtown for just bringing everybody together. As you know from our work yeah. and what we do, we're not about cultural experiences. We're about community experiences. Right. You know what I'm saying? This isn't uh, off limits to anyone. We want to make sure we're creating hospitality and invitations for everybody. Well, and we talked on a previous episode with Tasha from One Cocktail at a Time about how in Grand Rapids, you have to be intentional about bridging that race gap. So let's talk a little bit about our relationship. And I think we kind of skipped over it when we were talking about other things. But, like, what led you guys to realize that you had to be more active in reaching out to the white community in Grand Rapids? Because it's 70% Caucasian out here in West Michigan. Like, it's, it's really simple. Yeah. Like we can't just take our thing and just huddle around ourselves and just do that. We got to invite everybody to this. The way that we can help ourselves is by opening up yeah. the access to everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could probably attest to this personally. Yeah. You've probably grown a lot in the last two or three years of mm-hmm. hanging out with us. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? That was good for you. Yeah. It was good for us, too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, this can't work unless everybody's invited. Yeah. It's just that simple. Yeah. We know our, our objectives are always deliberate, right? We want to yeah. make sure we take care of our community and take care of our people and take care of the people we care about. Yeah, definitely. We, we are a priority for us. No doubt about it. But being here in West Michigan, we can't do anything for anybody unless everybody's invited. Yeah. It's just that simple. Like, yeah. Nothing's going to move. We're not going to move. People out of our community are not going to move. The city's not going to move. Our business won't move. The future won't move. Nothing's going to move unless everybody's invited and can take ownership in what it is required to move this shit forward, bro. It's, it's just not going to happen unless we can all work together. So we know just from doing business and just from being leaders, and just from being entrepreneurs and trailblazers, whatever we do has to be an open invitation to everybody. Yeah. Whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're from the West, whether you're from the East, whether you're from the South, whether you're from the North, no matter what it is, in Grand Rapids, which has stifled this city for a long time, I think we're kind of figuring it out now, because being so clicked up and so to the bosom with everything, that's good because it, it, it provides security and safety. But in order to grow and become a major city, to become a staple, in order for everybody to feel like they're included, yeah, you got to open it up, man. And I don't care who has 
the microphone, who has the ball. I don't care. Pass it off. Open it up. Invite people. Make it a thing. That way everybody moves forward. And the next time, if they can reciprocate that, then something else moves forward. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, as a young black man, I should be invited to the non-black, quote-unquote, event. Yeah. You know? And if I'm doing an event for my folks, the non-black folks should be invited to my event. What do you mean? We all like to have fun. End of the day, yo. End of the day, we all have the same objectives. End of yeah. the day. You want to take care of your family. You want to have fun. You want to be safe. You want to laugh. You want to love. You want to be loved. You want to make money. Like, we all... It's the same thing end of the day. Yeah. So if I could be this lifestyle curator, I'm going to invite everybody to get a chance to do all those things. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I think a lot of bigger brands can learn from that in the opposite direction, right? You've been very intentional about seeing the demographics of a city and making sure that you're embracing the demographics of that city well, and yeah. reaching out accordingly. And I think on a bigger scale, large companies who are now like scrambling because they've never talked to a black person before are... <laughs> are Same <laughs> on them. We've been here for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Are like confused on how to do it. And I think they could learn a lesson from you guys on how it just has to be a natural part of your everyday life to encourage yourself to cross those boundaries. Got to do it. Yeah. And you'll be surprised on how we can all grow once you do that. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, you know, we you know again, we prioritize our needs and our community. We always got to do that. But it's not an in, in, uh, uh, exclusive thing where nobody else is invited. And yeah. I think that's a that's the problem. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't care what your background is. Come out. Hang with us. Have a good time with us. You know what I'm yeah. saying? You're safe here. You're good here. Yeah. Have fun. Like, you know, because you've been around us. Mm-hmm. You know what it's about. Like, that's the way we can move this thing forward. You know, the inclusion piece. Whether you're on this side or that side of the inclusion, include everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's the vibe that ambiance will have Absolutely. for the record. Yeah. Oh, we're coming to be the spot. You yeah. Know? Not the young spot, not the black spot, not the white spot, not the country spot, not the hip hop spot, but the spot. Yeah. You know. If you want to yeah. have a good time, that's where you gotta end up. If you wanna feel validated for your trip, for your your night on the town, you gotta come with us. Yeah. You know, or you didn't go out at all. I've never had a night on the town with you guys that I didn't you know have a saying? good time. That's right. You didn't you didn't do shit if you didn't come hang out with us. That's, Period. That's how I feel. Wasted your time, wasted your money, you played yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's I don't care what your background yeah. is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. The best time is happening wherever we are. That's, that's a fact. Sure. That's a fact. That's a fact. <laughs> you got things you want to plug? Do you got any exciting new things coming up? Nah. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, no. The, we're up in a bar in Ghana, and I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Uh, me being an African-American, me being a young black guy, I, I'm really excited about doing business in the motherland. I'm really excited about that. Um, I've been all around the world, but never been in Africa. And the first time I go to Africa is going to be under the, uh, the auspice of a business yeah. that I'm curating out there, and I'm really excited about that. Um. Using the Motu brand to, to to support the business over there, it's just to make sure we make our footprint. You know, it's not going to be ambiguous or a mystery of who's doing this work. It's going to be us. Yeah, and you're going to have to see that. You're going to have to acknowledge that. And you know, yeah, that's what we're doing. I'm really excited about that. That's something that, uh, you know, my ancestors are going to be really proud of. Yeah. You know, my parents, my friends are going to be really proud of, and I'm excited about that. I'm really excited about. That. 
Um, that's the next big big thing on the horizon. Um, just more music, man. I'm I'm hoping to get everything really flowing so I can get some more time to spend with my family. That's been on my mind a lot lately. Just getting all of this stuff done and up and running so I can just decompress and just spend some time with my family. That's what I really want to do next. That's that's the biggest thing on my to do list. You know, after this Africa play, I'm gonna gonna really just. I'm gonna dissolve. I'm gonna disappear for a minute. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just spend time with the family. But yeah, man, that's it, man. That's really it. Okay. Well, I guess now is a good time to announce, since we align on so many things, that Motu is going to be our first podcast sponsor. Oh. Which is really exciting. Motu yo, 300 locations in the Midwest. We know we got that deal with Meyer. Yeah. And now we had 60 Meyer stores throughout Michigan from the east, well, from the west, right? From Holland. In Grand Haven, all the way to Detroit. Yeah. You know, they're trying to call us the first black winery in Michigan. There's probably a debate there, but we're kicking ass, man. Yeah. Kicking ass. So you can get it at your Meyer stores. Yes, you can. It's uh, the champagne is great. The vodka is great. They don't put out products that suck. That's the great thing about this they group don't of suck. people is they're not about to put something out unless it's ready to be they put don't out. Suck. So, um, you can get Motu at Meyer or at your local liquor store. And if it's yeah. not there, you better recommend you better it. Ask, you better ask for it. <laughs> or send us a DM and we'll get it in there. Yep. Or you can buy it online, which is great. And you can buy it at MotuVJSpirits.com. You can buy it online. So, yeah, that's another, another thing that we, we were able to do, right, to bring everybody together. Because when the COVID hit, right, everybody's at home doing what? Drinking. <laughs> so you can all relate to that, right? You drinking champagne when you're celebrating. You drink it when you're sad. You drink it all the time. So that's one thing we're able to do to bring everybody together. We can all we can all enjoy a drink together. Yeah, and it's the kind of champagne that you actually want more than one glass of, you which do. is great. You do, and it's great for mimosas, bellinis. It's a great mixing. Uh, it's a brew, but it's not too dry. Yeah. So it's really good for that. Um, Ivani, uh, it's our it's our uh, craft small batch of vodka. I like to call it a sipping vodka. It's really aromatic. Uh, it's gluten free, corn based. Um, I prefer it better just on the rocks, man. It's a real. It's it reminds me of just like a, like, a, like a sip of tequila, but it's a vodka. It's kind of floral. It it, it it's a great product as well. Um, we had a wine coming out this summer. I don't want to let the cat out the bag too soon, but um, actually got two wines coming out this summer. Um, yeah, shout out to Saint Julian. Shout out to Long Road. You know, shout out to my bro Jonathan Gio. Shout out to Jamil Super Dre. It's crazy, man. Yeah, it's crazy. Really crazy. Yeah, so we're excited to be able to kind of ramp up the production here and um, have some more high caliber guests, and really just use the connections that we've created between our friend group. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, if you have any ideas for what you want the podcast to look like, feel free to reach out. And if you have questions for Willie, he's like a real person, so you can <laughs> you can <laughs> you can actually contact him on Instagram uh, at the Willie the Kid, yes, and he will probably respond. I will. I will. Yeah. I, I try to. I try to. I try to respond to everybody. What I didn't know. Instagram has this thing where it's like another list. Yeah, it's the the request. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I don't get to get in there a lot. Yeah, so if I miss you in there, I'm sorry. But anything that lands on my primary list, I try to get right to it I, personally, like me personally. I yeah, and it. keep it for professional. Don't bug him, okay? Yeah, like, yeah. Please, come on, please. <laughs> don't ask me what my favorite movie is. Like I don't got time to talk. About that type of shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, so book an interview. For 
Thanks for making the time. I know you don't have a lot when you come up here. But... Absolutely. I couldn't I could not come by and support you guys. Come on. I gotta be here for that. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the end of this episode. So uh Oh, I should say, rate it. Oh, subscribe. Give us five stars. It really helps. And um we would love to be able to pop up in the searches higher for podcasts. So Yep, yep. Subscribe, like. That's it. That's it. <laughs> okay, yeah. now now the episode is really over. I mean it this We're time. We're out of here, right? Bye. <laughs> yeah.